So we find ourselves at the end of this, this prayer. And, you know, when you come to an end of something, it is it truly, uh, you know, if your heart's not in it, it's like, well, I'm glad that's over. That's not the heart that comes at the end of this, this prayer. In fact, it doesn't taper down to a soft amen. In fact, I heard one preacher say it this way. Don't say amen too fast. Don't get to it too quickly because there's more left. There's an extension. You see, in our culture, when you do something that is of, of note, let's say because I come from a music background, I've performed on stage quite a number of years, there's this natural expectation of an ovation, of some kind of applause. That's just kind of part of our our culture. I, and and uh, so when you perform and you finish the last note and you hit the last note of the Beethoven concerto or whatever that is, there, there's just this eruption of, of uh, applause. And so when, it, when you've really done well, there's a standing ovation, right? This is true in sports. When the guy kicks the, you know, the soccer ball in the, in the net and people go crazy because they're, they're responding to something that's already happened. And uh, if you, you know, the, you know, let's say it's the ninth inning, it's the bottom of the ninth, the home team's up to the plate, it's a tie game, and then all of a sudden they score a touchdown. It's, um, I'm just seeing how many of you are tracking with me. They hit it over the fence, they get a home run, and all of a sudden, man, it's like that place goes nuts because it's an ovation that's commensurate with what just happened. It would be odd if nothing happened. Bottom of the ninth, two outs, two strikes, Three balls, guy hits it over the fence, a whole stadium of 70,000 people just like, hmm, that's okay, I think I got a hot dog. Would that not be weird? <laughs> silence would be strange. There's sometimes like library silence is appropriate. Silence in those moments would not be only inappropriate, it would be just wackadoodle. It would be, it wouldn't make sense. And at the end of this prayer, it's, it's the same. I, I, I used to work with a pastor. His name was Charles. Charles had a, a very, uh, wacky sense of humor. Just very, and, and, and he had not, uh, completely mastered uh, political correctness. So there were times his jokes were on the edge and you could feel it coming. And like if you were at a party or something or after church or reception, and you could feel it coming. You would just kind of subtly distance yourself from Charles. Like, I, I never knew the man, right? So went to this uh, this classical concert, and not many people there. And the singer was uh, singing all the songs. They were called German Leader. They were, all the songs were in German. Well, it's kind of cool for the first couple songs. You know, you can't understand a word it's saying, you know. And, but then they put the translation in the bulletin, and then they cut all the lights down. You can't read it. It makes complete sense. So you're sitting there listening to it. And the first couple, like, hey, the guy's got a kind of neat voice and a good piano player and all that. And so the guy's singing in German. But after about 28 of them, you know, it's a bit much if you've not understood a single word that's going on. So at the reception... The singer and Charles, they, they were in close proximity, and the singer, the singer said, So Charles, which song that I sang tonight was your favorite? It's when I began to subtly just like head to the, like, the snack table, because I'm like, here it comes. Before I could get away, he said, well, the last one. Now, I knew what he meant, because I knew, now this guy's like, oh, the last one. You know, I'm like, okay, it's time for some Kool-Aid, or whatever they got over there. You see... The end of the prayer is not, oh, I'm so glad it's over. That's not the spirit of the, uh, of the, what Christ is saying. 
He says it's not over so fast because watch. The degree of that you've embraced the content of this prayer will be the same level of dynamic that you end the prayer. Let me try it again. The, de- the degree of dynamic and embracing what is in this disciple prayer will directly impact how you end it. If you pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, then for thine is the kingdom, glory and power, and the, amen. Can't wait to get out. But if you take the components of the prayer, forgive us our debts today. God, forgive me my debts. And I thank you, God, that even though I can never attain a level of righteousness before you, God, I want to remind myself in front of you that I am thankful. I am thankful, God, that you did not provide many ways that you made it simple for us and provide it one way. You provide it not only one way, but a compassionate way, God. You can feel it coming, can't you, at the end? If I'm praying the content like this, God, it's still amazing to me, your grace. It's still amazing to me that you know who I am, and I know who I am more than anybody else knows that I am, God. And I'm still here in front of you. I'm I'm surprised, God. That your love never ends. For thine is the kingdom, the power. See, now the ending is affected because of what I said during the prayer. The end is in direct contact with how I embrace this prayer. There is an expectation on God's part for some sense of response at the end as a performer or an athlete would would have. You might remember Jesus walked into a house And the owner of the house, his name was Simon. And when he walked in, he was just treated like any other average Joe. Simon knew who he was. He recognized that he was the son of God, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, walking on the planet. Some type of ovation, recognition, appreciation was certainly due, even as a guest in his home. Take away all that I just said. Just even as a guest in Simon's home, there should have been some kind of appreciation. And Jesus voices this expectation as he does to us. Because, you see, there was a woman that was deemed to be peripheral. Deemed because of her sin to be marginalized. Who came up, and many of you know the story, anointed Christ with oil washed his feet with her tears because she was so thankful to be in. Then he says, let me contrast this for you, Simon. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 44, watch the body language of Jesus. Then he turns toward the woman. Simon is over there. He's looking eye to eye at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. What interesting body language he had. It wasn't just by mistake. So he turned toward the woman, but he spoke to Simon. He said, do you see this woman, Simon? He probably never took his eyes off her. Although Simon's standing off to the side. You see this woman? And you watch the elevation here. He said, I came into your house, Simon. There was no ovation. You did not give me any water for my feet. but But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon... 
You did not even greet me. You didn't give me the culturally appropriate kiss on my cheek. But this woman, from the time I entered, Simon, you can hear me, right? Because I'm looking in her eyes. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped the ovation of, of kissing my feet. Simon, can you still hear me? You did not put any oil, which was customary on my head, but she poured out some expensive perfume on my feet. Therefore, Simon, I tell you, she got it. She embraced it. Her many sins are forgiven because she loved much. When she prayed, forgive my debts, she wept. She understood it. So naturally, her ovation was much different from you because somehow your heart was at the snack bar. But he who has been forgiven little will love little. You see the contrast. Jesus had an expectation. Now when you come to the end of a a prayer or a section like this, the technical word for it is a doxology. Sometimes we've sung that in church, doxology. A doxology is actually exciting. It's not... It's not like other points of praise, like what we would call invocation at the beginning where we're invoking God to be with us. You see, a doxology is always in response to something. That's like an ovation that, 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 that comes as a response. In fact, the word it can split right in half. Doxa, which means it is appropriate to give praise. But the last part of the word logeas, or logias, or ever how you want to say it, logeas, uh, comes from the word logos. And we re- some of us recognize that word, which means word expressed. You see, it's not enough in the doxology just to feel praise, to feel thankful. There are times where, where something happens, whether it's the home run or the last note of a concert, that we do something physically and like, wow, and we cheer and we yell and we do all those things. In other words, we express what is appropriate. That is a doxology. So what we're going to do is look at some of the doxologies in the Bible. Some of them you know right off the bat. Exodus chapter 14, you know, when they, they walk through the Red Sea. Can you imagine that moment? I, I, uh, there are certain things in the, in, in the Bible I'm like, I wonder what that smelled like. I wonder what it sounded like. It's not just a story on paper, but I wonder what the roar of walls of a sea sound like when they're being held back by the hand of God. Have you ever thought about that? And they walk through the end and, and can you imagine just seeing this and then seeing the, uh, the God just collapse those water walls and drown the enemies? Can you imagine? Anybody in their right mind just saying, you know, I got a little sand on my sandals. That was kind of a hassle. Golly, these are my favorite sand. Of course not. They're like, wah! And that's Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15 is like, wah! And Moses and Miriam, man, they're writing like, praise to the Lord. As you would be. They just didn't feel it. They expressed it. It's not limited just to human beings, angels. At the birth of Christ, at the, at the because of the birth of Christ, the Son of God came and come into the world. They just didn't come with a gleam on their face. They said, glory to God in the highest. They expressed it in some way. So we're going to look at some doxologies as a result of something happened. Watch this, Jude. The book of Jude is just one chapter in the Bible. In verse four, uh, 24, to him... Who is able to keep you from falling. May I stop and ask you who else can do that for you? Who else can keep you from falling in in, in in an eternal way? No one is the answer. 
and to present you before his glorious presence without fault. Who can do that? Who can present someone? Who, I can't do that for you. Only Christ. So Jude is writing to Christ who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before every generation, all ages, now and forevermore. So be it. Amen. That's the ovation based on the fact that he can present you into the glorious presence. There's a building of the orchestra. Can you feel it? At the end of the book of Romans, Paul had a similar feel in his doxology. He said, now to him and only him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. In other words, hey, y'all, we've been waiting for this for a long time. But now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings, the Old Testament, by the command of the eternal God. Can you feel it building? So that all the writings, uh, so that all nations might believe and obey him to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Like, whoa, that's where the doxology is. It's not boring, by the way. One of you posted a Facebook picture the other day. I thought, now there is a picture of a doxology, someone who is experiencing elation based on what has just happened. Check this out. There's a doxology. Woo! Oh, yeah. See, that's the end of the disciple prayer right there. If you want to look. Oh, forgive us our debts. Really? You're going to present me, this old shoe, this sinner, this wretch? In my sinful estate and to the glorious presence. Oh, to thee be the glory and power and kingdom. Oh, whoo. I need to put some roller skates back for some of you people out there. There are two dimensions in these doxologies that come up over and over. That should trigger your doxometer. Your praiseometer. Maybe yours is running low because life has a way. Of ebbing our excitement about God. Does it not? It does for me. For those, for those worship pastors across this country today. Who find themselves trying to rally the people of God to be excited. Oh, shame on us. There should be no worship pastor that has to. Psych us up and jazz us up. Worship pastor be like, hey, y'all settle down a little bit. Come on now. Wouldn't that be something? But there are two elements in case you find yourself in that position. There are two elements here, dimensions of God that are found in our experience with him. Things that two things that we could never achieve. Two things, two dimensions that we could never reproduce. Two, dim two dimensions that has saved our life and gives us confidence. And those dimensions are these two things. Perfect and forever. Perfection and eternity. Those are two things that are completely foreign to the natural human being. We cannot produce. Let's take perfection, for example. We cannot produce perfect. 
No matter how hard we try, that means it's unflawed, that it's ironclad. Everything that we look at in life, even when you have a best friend, once in a while they blow it. Once in a while they have a bad, bad hair, hair day. Once in a while they're rude. Once in a while they're unforgiving. Even their closest friends. You see, the perfect, perfect love of God is, means it's unflawed, that it's ironclad, that it's guaranteed. See, when I, there are times in my life that I, I thought, man, I had a guarantee on this and it's perfect. It's ironclad, but it's not. I usually buy used cars from people, but one time I bought one from a car dealer and, and the, the dealership said, do you want the bumper to bumper? It's guaranteed from bumper to bumper. I'm like, well, that sounds good. See, I like that. As human beings, there's something in us that says, you know, I like, I don't want to be worried about that. So I'll, I'll buy the guarantee. It doesn't matter if you're buying a pencil anymore or an iPod. They want to know if you want the, the warranty with it, right? The extended warranty. So I'm like, yeah, I'll get the bumper to bumper. I thought everything's covered until I needed a new set of tires. And I'm like, well, that's, that's not covered in the bumper to bumper. I'm like, well, my tires are within the bumper to bumper parameter. Are they not? Well, yeah, but they are, but blah, 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 and fine print. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. Then my battery went down. I'm like, oh, well, I know, I know a lot. I don't know a lot about cars, but I do know what's on this side of the, the bumper. How come that's not? <laughs> nope. Not, see, now think about it. If there were one half of one ounce of flaw and contamination in the blood of Christ and in the plan of his salvation, all of us would be eternally damned away from the presence of God. Perfection is something that should trigger like, wow, I don't have it. It's threaded through all this prayer. Our Father, from the very beginning, we learned that it was an access to prayer only because Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life, and no one comes to the Father through except through me, and because He provided a way. So when we're praying, our Father, I thank You that I can even say that because Jesus said, I'm going to my God and to Your God. It's our God, and I've made a perfect way. I'm thanking You, God. My doxo- doxometer is starting to build a little bit because I can even say our Father because of the perfection of Christ. Forgive me my sins, forgive my debts, only because of the perfection of Christ. Let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, like Romans 12 verse 2 says, your good and perfect will. Last week we looked at the master chef, God the master chef. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, because he knows exactly perfectly how long to test us and how high to turn up the heat. So we come to the end of this prayer and we all threaded through it. It's like, wow, the perfection of God is beginning to trigger and build up my doxology at the end. If you're looking through those lenses, then we get to the end and we get the second dimension of God that should begin to excite us. And it's the forever part of God. Now, just think for with me. Let's say God had a perfect plan, but it only lasted five years. Just think about that. You see, you need both wings of that airplane. If it was a perfect plan, but let's see, it only lasted three centuries. Big deal, right? We need something that's going to last forever, by the way, since our souls will last forever. There are some times when I play golf, I, tr- I, I truly hit the perfect shot. Uh, 
And then between that perfect shot and the next perfect shot is about five years. You know what I'm talking about? And those five, that's that perfect shot is the, the only thing that keeps you going back and paying a lot of money. Like I could do it again, but it's very inconsistent. I mean, you know, and then you're analyzing what, you know, you were like, like, wow. Okay. I had my head down. What was it? The wind was blowing a certain amount and I, I didn't move my elbows and I didn't crack my wrist and all that stuff. And you would begin to analyze and then it never happens for five years again. That's the least for me. Perfection without endurance doesn't mean anything. Forever means that it's unlimited, that it just keeps going over and over and over. So when we come to the end of this prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, we read these words that should trigger in us not a, a, a reaction to shut it down. Ooh, I'm glad that's over. But to a, a reaction that should start even kicking it up at the very end. Matthew 6.13, some versions have it, others have, have it in a footnote. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Now when you see the words forever and ever, humanly speaking, there's no way that you can understand it. But there is something in us that it triggers because it's something we don't have and something we're desperate for. And that's because... Through Solomon, God told us that God set in our hearts this sense of eternity. He put eternity, he put on and on in our forever in our hearts. So when we, we begin to, we begin to sense it and like, oh really? Because everything I know in life, there's not one single thing in life that lasts forever that you can see with your visible eye. And so when we have something that does, we're like, oh, that word forever, those words forever and ever, they apply to the kingdom. They apply to the power. And they apply to the glory. In other words, there's forever kingdom, unlimited kingdom. It never fails kingdom. It's forever unlimited power. It's forever unlimited glory. So let's look at them very quickly. You see, in our, in our human experience, this is something that not only is tough to believe because we don't, we don't understand fully what forever means. We can't. We're temporal people. But there are those who push against it. Voltaire was a was a well-known French philosopher. He was not an agnostic wondering if there was a God. He was a very vocal atheist who was anti-God, who spoke against the church and spoke against God, very strong in his perspective. And he said these words, he said, 100 years from today, he lived in the 18th century, the Bible will be a forgotten book. Nah. Missed that one. Because see, comparatively, Christ would say, oh no, you got it wrong, Voltaire. He said in Matthew chapter 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words are unlimited. They will never, ever pass away. In our culture, in our history as a human race, There have been mighty kingdoms, empires, rulerships, societies, countries who have had their stretch at being the most powerful in the world. We understand that as Americans. But all of them have had a shelf life. But if you were living in them as we're living in the American empire, so to speak, when you're living in them, they seem unending, do they not? They seem invincible. 
Like they'll never end. Like we've got it all together. The Roman Empire lasted 507 years. The British Empire lasted 464 years. All of them, the great leaders like Napoleon, who's in all the history books, only reigned for 10 years. All of them, when they were reigning, thought, this is it. This is where we are. And, and so it doesn't matter. Babylonian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Assyrian Empire, Roman, British, American Empire. So when we look at those, we say that no empire, no, regardless of their strategy or military power or financial proudness, can last forever. We live in a historic timeline where empires rise and fall, but the people that are living within them never think they're going to end. I look at the rise and fall of many cultures and empires as I have studied over the years, and it is not their financial strength. It's not their military strength. There have been empires who have, who have fallen with great military strength, they crumble from within. And the moral landscape of the empire, that's where the fracture begins. And for that reason, I'm worried about our country. I'm worried about the decisions our country have, has made. Not only the government, we can't blame it solely on them, but the, the, the population that has supported. The, the fact that in the moral landscape of America, the country I love, by the way, and respect, the, in, in America this year, one Point two million unborn babies will be killed. That doesn't seem to be within the moral landscape and parameter of God. Where we have normalized sin, whether it's homosexual or heterosexual. And we've called something outside the bounds of the scripture as if it were the norm. When we see evolution as a theory, but now written in, as a fact in the textbooks of the school book and the schools of our children... I began to worry when I when I began to think about the financial debt we find ourselves in and the immorality of the debt that we that we experience in this country. And I hear experts use words like brink and financial global collapse. When I hear all those things and begin to put together, that sounds a bit doom and gloom, doesn't it? Y'all have a great day. I'll see you next week. It's awesome. But when I begin to read the news and put all these things together and to see the decisions that are being made and how they're embraced and how normalization is happening when it comes to immorality, I become a bit uneasy at times. I begin to get a little nervous like this thing because we live in a fast culture. It could collapse in a heartbeat. Just two weeks ago, there was a glitch in the computer system of the New York Stock Exchange. And you see what happens. Everybody starts freaking out. I'm telling you, it, it, it would not take a long time. But the good news is this, that this empire will eventually collapse like every empire on this history line, the timeline of humanity. But the great news is that this is that Christ said, my kingdom is not of this world and it will last forever and ever. And you're part of it if you're a Christ follower. Doxology. Woo! <laughs> Insert doxometer right now. Doxology. So Christ comes along and says, no, it's different. My kingdom will not end. It cannot end. It is not of this world. Others have pushed against that. You think, I'm not buying what you're cooking. That's all right. But other, other major leaders in the world, Nebuchadnezzar, for example, he was the king of Babylon. He never thought his kingdom was going to end. And he began to push 
and and he began to uh, to push against God. He built a, had a huge statue built of himself, and he said, "Man, I tell you what, I, I am it. I'm the it factor here, and my kingdom will never end." He lost his mind for seven years. He lost his mind. You see, no human is a match for God. That's an obvious statement. But that's not an obvious statement once pride and ego enter in. You think you're invincible and you can stand up against God. I know, I've been there. I've done it. Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind, but he had an epiphany at the end of that and think, wow, my kingdom is zero compared to the kingdom that will last forever. And this man who was anti-God for years and years and years, suddenly in his epiphany, you know what he did? He wrote a doxology. Look, look, Daniel chapter 4, at the end of that time, Nebuchadnezzar is writing these words, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Often happens, by the way. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him. Here it is, who lives forever. His dominion, his kingdom, his rule, his dominion as an eternal dominion. How did he know that? Because God revealed it to him. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is perfect and right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. What a doxology. You see, Isaiah 40, 23 says this. He brings, God brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. He has what I call the clink factor. Clink, and it's over. In Isaiah chapter 9, we read it at Christmas. Christ will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God. Here it is, everlasting father, prince of peace. And of the growth and the expansion and the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. How do you know that? Read the rest of the book. Revelation, when the apostle John is standing watching the future, not predicting the future. Revelation chapter 11, the final seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven. Boy, I wonder what that sounds like. Wonder if they need reverb in heaven. I'm guessing not. Loud voices in heaven which said the kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and like Handel wrote and he will reign forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. That was my audition, Clay. Hope I'm it. There is this, this explosion of thankfulness. Don't end the prayer too soon. Don't say amen too soon without embracing the sense of praise. Now quickly, let's take a look at power, unlimited power. I feel like as a parent, I spend half my life replacing batteries. And I've got a conspiracy theory that toy manufacturers, they own battery companies. I'm just, I'm just a guess. I'm on a first name basis with the folks at Battery Plus. Hey, Ron, how's it going? Yeah, I need another stock box, you know. It's never ending, these things. And, and, and when you're, you're, you know, you're on your phone, don't you hate it when you got the red bar? And you're right in the middle of a great conversation or an important one. And now you begin to talk fast like, hey, my battery's going to run. So I just want to cut it. Darn it, it's out. <laughs> See, life is full of, ah, it's out. 
Because you might be sitting here and think, you know, emotionally, if I were just to be honest with everybody, emotionally, I got one bar left. So forever power could get me going. Unlimited power. You might say, my marriage is on the red bar, man. My health is on the red bar. I could use a little unlimited power. One that's not going to flake out in seven days. That power is not in heaven stored in some eternal vault. It lives within the cavity of our body, the power and the mystery of the Holy Spirit of God living within us with an eternal power. When I sit across the table from someone, I say, hey, how's it going? They tell me their story and they're in a, and they got one bar left on their emotional phone or their life phone. And I ask them, how much have you tapped into God for this? Their head dips to the table. It's there. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul said it clearly in this doxology. It's a doxology. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more unlimitedly more than we than all we could ask or imagine here it is according to his endless power that is at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in christ jesus throughout all generations here it is again forever and ever amen finally there's a sense of not only thine is the forever kingdom thine is the forever power but thine is the forever Glory. Now, glory is a word that we use a lot in church language. It literally means weight, significance. Sometimes in life, we assign a point significance to a person because what they're, the position that they are temporarily in, like a judge. A judge puts on a, a robe and he or she walks in the courtroom and the person says, all rise, and we all rise, and because this is the important person with the rope. We've assigned importance or glory or weight to that person. A, a, a police officer, I don't know about you, but I, I get nervous every time I get pulled over. Like, you know, he's, he'll be fine, he'll be nice, but I, I'm just shaking like a leaf. Anybody else do that when you get pulled over? Huh? Huh? Good. Or at least one. Uh, thank you, Mom. I appreciate your agreement. He's got the uniform on, you know, he's got the shiny badge, he's got the stuff, you know, all over him and clips and stuff and loops and stuff up on his shoulder. And, you know, he walks just by virtue that he's been assigned this weight, the significance. I'm freaked out. And, and if they could cut the lights off, that'd be cool, too. But, you know, it all adds to it. But watch, if I saw that officer, that same guy in a grocery store without his uniform, I wouldn't even know that he had that much significance because it's a sign significance. If I saw the judge without his robe and never met him before in public, so I'm standing there in line. I don't know who he is. He's a human being because he only had assigned significance. But see, God is different because he's got forever glory, forever weight, forever significance. He doesn't have to try. He never takes off his robe, so to speak. He is always amazing. There's never an unamazing day in the life of God. See? And when you think about the, the, the amazing things that he's done, I was thinking about the sun the other day. Do you know the circum, it's called the, um, the, the, the circumference around the equatorial circumference around the, the earth. That means if you took a, you know, a long uh, measuring thing and measured the world, 
24,901 miles around the circumference of the earth. So let's just say 25,000 miles if you measured around the earth. Do you know what the sun is? If you measured around the sun? 25,000 for earth. 2.7 million for the sun. I find that amazing. The surface of the sun is the coolest. Now, I don't know who touched it to figure that out. But the surface of the sun measures at 9,940 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's the coolest part of the sun. It is placed exactly where our temperature doesn't fry us or freeze us. I find that amazing. You cannot, no matter what apparatus you humans have constructed, you can't get within 3 million miles of the sun or you'll be burnt like a crispy piece of bacon. You can't get that close to it. That's that amazing. This, this ball of fire, 2.7 million miles around, that's floating in space in the right place. It never, never moves like a God's like, ah, oh, darn it, I've, it's slipped away from me. And it's held in the perfect place every single day. It's 93 million miles away and not, none of us can stand outside and even look straight at it for two minutes. Now I'm thinking, wow, then I turn to the one who made it. Wow! <laughs> he just made the thing. Anything that's made is less than the one who made it. That's why Isaiah 40, 26, God saying, you don't attribute this to some silly explosive beginning. A creator is just, it's just beyond my silly logic how it could all come to be without a creator. And Isaiah 40 says this, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. You tell me who created all these things. And Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, God the blessed, his doxology by the way, God the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is mortal and lives, watch, like more powerful than the sun in unapproachable light. He doesn't give it, he lives in unapproachable light intrinsically not a sign significance when you look he lives in inapproachable light Woo! my doxometer is climbing be careful to him be the glory whom no one has seen or can see to him be the weight the honor and might forever you see this rolls out this rolls out forever and ever when you get to the end of the book and John is standing in the future. Again, he's not predicting the future. He is seeing the future. It's why he uses past tense in the book of Revelation and not future tense. Watch as we close. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 13. Past tense, John says, Then I heard every creature, watch, Every creature in heaven, every single one of them. I heard every creature on earth, every single one of them. I heard, wow, every creature under the earth, everyone because every knee will bow. I heard every creature on the sea and all, every single one of them that is in them singing. 
to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever. Amen. And we get to be a part of it. Doxometer. Woo! We couldn't end this day without doing a little bit of doxologia, right? To express, because if you can hear the word of God and what we have given, what God has given to us and who he is, and think, I don't know, I'm not sure I'm, check the needle on your doxometer. So we're going to express to God this sense of God, we are so grateful to be part of who you are and what you are doing in this world. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you, God, for being an utterly amazing, incredible being so far past our understanding and comprehension. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us mouths to speak and hearts to fill. It is appropriate, God, doxa, to express logia, to express our praise to you. It is appropriate, God, when we understand the perfection that you offer that no human being could achieve or reproduce, to give you praise. It is appropriate, God, for us when we understand the eternal the forever dimension of who you are. God, a forever rule, kingdom, forever power, unlimited, and forever glory. And God, we are here. We will not sit and we will not remain silent, but we, God, as your people, will praise your name forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's give the appropriate praise to God.